Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to the Bridge Church. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and it is exciting to be reaching the end of Acts. And as I've been preparing for the sermon, I've been you know, like looking back at the book of Acts and the book of Luke. We studied the two together. These are the two books that Luke wrote uh, to Theophilus to describe what God was doing through Christ and then what God was doing in the church in the beginning. And it, it comes from Acts 1.8. It reminded me of Acts 1.8 where he told, Jesus told his followers before he ascended, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And today we are going to uh, see Acts conclude having seen the gospel go through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but not the end of the earth. And it doesn't end like a normal book ends. If he was in a writing class, he would get a low grade for his conclusion. It just ends. It just stops abruptly right in the middle of the story, not telling us how it concludes because the story is still being written today. It's still being written here. The acts of the Holy Spirit among his people began with the apostles, and we just looked at a couple of uh, veins of that. We didn't see Stephen's ministry and Philip's ministry and the other apostles' ministries. We just looked at Peter's until we shifted to Paul, and then we shifted to Paul, and we've watched Paul's ministry. But God has been at work way beyond what we've read and studied, even in these first couple of decades after Christ raised from the dead. And now we continue that work. As we conclude, I want you to see that we can get help for the work that God's doing in us and among us and wants to do in and among us. So as we finish in Acts 28, verses 11 to 31, I want you to know that there is help for us as we minister. Help for us as we continue this work this Holy Spirit work of advancing the kingdom of Christ in the context of the church. Help for us as we minister. The passage we're looking at is Acts 28, verses 11 to 31. We're going to break it up into three parts as we read. We'll read verses 11 to 16 first and see that we receive help from other Christians. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, and after one day a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found, found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. As we look at this passage, we see the end of Paul's journey to Rome. It has been a long trip and a, and a difficult trip. And if you put the map up on the screen, you'll see that he started out in Jerusalem, 
ran for his life and was imprisoned in Caesarea for over a year. And from there, he started his trip on, by ship to, to Sidon, to Myra, and ended up in Crete. And here, he was warned his captors, he warned the centurion, don't put out to sea. God has told me we won't make it. They put out to sea with the gold to make it just a phoenix. And a hurricane wind sets in and sets them for a 13-day trip that ended up in Malta that was that they lost their ship, they lost their cargo, but not one person lost their lives because Paul prayed for them and advocated for them. They spent three months in Malta, so this is they leave here sometime mid-October, and by the time they land in Malta, 13 days later, it's close to November, and there's no sailing on the Mediterranean Sea in the winter. You like to stay at, wait until March, but they probably wait till February and pick a good day, and we pick up the story right here to round out Acts. After three months, we set sail in a ship of Alexandria, an Alexandrian ship, and putting in at Syracuse, we stayed for three days. So they found good weather that was a southern wind that would push them to Syracuse, and they stayed in Syracuse. I just lost my pointer's power, so we will just talk about it. We're going to go from Syracuse, and in Syracuse, they stayed three days. Why did they stay three days in Syracuse? More than likely, they were waiting for a southern wind. And when they began the trip from Syracuse to Regium, uh, there's a strait there. We can't see it there, but at its narrowest part, it's about seven miles wide between Sicily and Italy, and they set sail to Regium in that strait, and it's about a one-day trip if the winds are favorable. And they make that trip in one day. They wait there a day in Regium and then set sail for Puteoli. Now, it's kind of interesting that they set sail for Puteoli. That's probably a two-day trip that they spend on, that, on the seas. They wait for the southern wind. It carries them up to Puteoli. And they land there. The ship continues and goes up to the, to the river that goes into Rome. And, uh, and they walk the rest of the way. Now, you may wonder why they're walking. We'll see, actually, that they have a favorable response when they land in Puteoli and are said, we'll, we'll put you up. A Christian group is there waiting for Paul. But some people who are Christians have come from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and they've ended up in Rome, and the church is already growing and vibrant in Rome, even though Paul has never been there before. And he sees signs of the Christian faith right there in Puteoli and immediately begins to receive encouragement. And he stops there for seven days. That's where the story picks up in verse 14. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And what he means by so we came to Rome is at, this is the long story. They're not in Rome yet. They're still days away from Rome. But they're, they have to walk quite a distance still, 120 plus miles, um, or 142 miles to make it from there by foot to Rome. And for, when you're walking, that takes a long time. So they are received by these Christian brothers. And imagine them, they're still with their captors. So at least the centurion got off with Paul and, uh, and with who he was with, uh, Luke being one of them. And he gets off and... Uh, they found brothers, invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. So at each stage, 
where they stopped their... And uh, that trail, you can walk today, and you can see the stones that were part of the Roman roads at the time and actually walk on those roads. And they found that Forum of Appius was actually like a commercial center where they did trade, and people would bring in goods through there, and they would trade goods already before it got to Rome. So it was like a marketplace. And then the three taverns are just what it sounds like. There are three taverns there, and they meet there. And in each place, it's about a day's walk, uh, 30 miles to get from Rome. To, it's a long day's walk to get to the three taverns. And then it's another 10 miles to get to the Forum of Appius. And the Christians hear that, that Paul is coming, and they go proceed to get to him. They are so longing to be with Paul. And at the conclusion of this reception, after Paul has been ministering under duress for years, really, held as a prisoner on a ship that is just sent out to sea for 13 days, miserable living conditions, in chains, and now he is received by Christians in this warm fashion, and he is encouraged, and he thanks God. That's what we see in verse 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I can't say, I can't describe to you how important it is that we encourage each other. Do you know why it's important that we come together as a church? Do you know why it's not enough to just watch online and be detached from people? The reason is that God has given us to each other to encourage each other, to build each other up, to spur each other on. I started cataloging the ways that I've been encouraged just in this last week. I, it started with last week me preaching and, and telling you all that I was feeling dizzy and I was standing up here and, and then we went out to do our, our uh, fall fest and just seeing everybody gathered together and enjoying each other and kids running around and eating food. I am so encouraged by all of you. After being dizzy, there were a few of you, Amanda, and a few others that came up to me and said, I can help. We can, we can, we can do this. I had Mary Kay came up and laid hands on me and prayed for me. There was, I was just so encouraged as I went home. I crashed when I got home, by the way. But, but I went home with a full heart, having been with the people of God. And I feel that again and again when I come together at church. On Tuesday at staff meeting, being with staff and, and, and just encouraging each other about what God's doing in our lives and spurring each other on. I love staff meeting. I love being together. It's not just a business meeting about what we do as staff. It is friends, Christian brothers and sisters coming together and encouraging each other. It's exciting. On Wednesday, G2G, our table was the loud table. Are you surprised? I'm a loud guy. And I had so much fun. My favorite comment was from the quietest among us, Eric. I hate to call you out, but I, he described one of my, uh, he compared one of my failed evangelistic experiences 
to that of the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and I just, I just laughed and laughed because of the comparison. I, you know, you, cut that out. But man, I, I still laughed when I went home. I was encouraged. I was carrying around a card all week of the names that I'm praying for that they would come to faith. Carrying it in my pocket. Encouraged. On Friday with, uh, I don't know if Brent and Angel are here, but Brent and Angel and over for Bible study at our house. And I was, my heart was full. We cried together and talked about what God has done in our lives. Story after story. This Tuesday, it'll be the men's Bible study. Tuesday night was elder meeting and we pray for each other. There is a community around you that is called to encourage. And I think sometimes we forget this job that we have. When we encourage each other, we have an opportunity. If you look around you, everyone here is struggling in different ways. Everyone here is carrying a load. Everyone here is carrying a weight. And God has called us to walk together, to be friends, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. I can't tell you how much people are hurting. I can tell you what I've seen, and I get a more clear view of it than most of us. Just because I have the privilege of being a part of your lives. But I am here to tell you that people are struggling all around you. And we are called to encourage each other. What's at stake? Well, before Paul went into Rome, he was able to thank God and take courage. How, why did he thank God and take courage? Because after this long, difficult passage, where he's with Aristarchus and Luke, he's with his friends, but while he's going through this, it's draining him. Have you felt drained? You know what it is to be beat up? You know what it is to be at your limit? Church, we have a job to do. And in when we encourage others, the Holy Spirit encourages us as we are used in each other's lives. We receive help from other Christians. We are not called to reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth without help. We're in it together. Receive help from non-believers. Verses 17 through 22. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I, was, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked, you, asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect that we know with, that everywhere is spoken against. Paul is brought into his apartments. Apartments. He ends up in Rome, and the first thing that he gets is 
imprisonment in his own rental property. He is allowed to rent these apartments. He is allowed to receive people. He is allowed to send out letters. God has ordained through a non-believing community his protection and provision. He's allowed to talk to the Jewish people and the leaders, and they can't do anything to him because he's got a chain on his wrist to one soldier. And God ordained that through non-believers. When I think about our church and about the work that God has done in us, it has been done in the context of community. Not just the Christian community, but the non-Christian community or our neighbors, which is both Christian and non-Christian. And in that context, we have seen help that I can't believe. I'm shocked at when we were getting ready to launch. This is the miracle that God did through the community around us. When we were getting ready to launch, it was the summer of 2014, and we had resolved that God wanted us to do a sports camp. We had one kid in our church at that point. We say one and a half because there was a shared kid who went back and forth. So every other weekend, we got the second kid. And we haven't started yet. And we are building a children's ministry, and we are starting a sports camp for children. So we go to the principal then of Eastview Elementary and say, hey, so far we've been serving you. We would love to rent your property, and we would love to do a sports camp. Don't know how God's going to provide the kids, but... And his response, in fact, the whole school's response was shocking. He sent home invitations in backpacks to all of the kids. I said, we're going to preach the gospel at this event. He risked it because he trusted us and we built up trust with the community and he sent home invitations in the virtual backpacks and in the, in the real backpacks of all of the kids to their parents. We would invite you to the Bridges First Sports Camp. We aren't even a church yet. We had 43 kids come to our first sports camp and over half of them received Jesus Christ as their Savior. The power of God. Who knew? God uses people around us for his purposes. And, and he opened up doors that were surprising to us. And I, I recently did a video that if you were here the day that we talked about the property, I stood next to my friend, friend Jim Zerson, and we talked about this partnership that, from my perspective, God put together for his good purposes. And the community was served, and the church was served, and those lines got blurred because it was about love and kindness and encouragement. It's not us versus them. It's us for them together. And the people around us are not our enemies. They're our, the friends, and God will give us friendships with people around us, and it's not just in the church. It's around us. I am shocked to see the, God is, the work that God has done. Now, not only in Eastview, but in the schools, Eastview and, 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 and Algonquin Middle School, but now schools in Carpentersville, as the doors are swinging wide and we're able to do language classes. Thank you to your wife. You know, it's, it's just, and thank you to Dan and Sylvia and those who are leading that ESL class. God is opening up doors for this partnership that maybe when I was younger, I didn't know that could happen with the church that we could serve together and just love each other. And when it's our telling of the story, I used to tell Jim we need to write a book. And the book would be titled, from my perspective, What God Did. 
I don't know how Jim would title his section. But for me, it was part of God's miracle. We receive help from non-believers. And Paul here is receiving help from these soldiers that come into Rome and say, all right, just so you know, in fact, if you go back to Malta, they wanted to kill the prisoners and the centurion didn't kill any of the prisoners because of the relationship between Paul and the centurion. What happened in that relationship? Trust was built up. Love was built up. Encouragement. Character. Build relationships. It's not us versus them. It's us for them. And in the context of that relationship, Paul comes into Rome, and in verse 16, he came into Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. If you have time to read Philippians 1, you'll find out that Paul's description of this experience is he's in chains, is that this also served to advance the gospel because the whole time he's talking to the Jewish leaders and the whole time that he's writing letters and he's, he's, he's quoting these letters to somebody who's writing them down for him, the soldier's listening to it and they're coming to Christ. This too serves to advance the gospel. This is the story that God wrote. And ultimately, I want you to see that we receive help from God. I wrote down some of the ways that the, the, that the community, as we leave second point, let me finish my list. Not only the school, but the Rotary, partnership with the police of Chile, uh, the, the police chief and Algonquin, the Barrington Hills president came up. <laughs> that story is just amazing. How the Barrington Hills president and he ended up advocating for our little church. The Barrington Hills Zoning Commission did the unthinkable and paved the way for us to buy the, the land that we bought. This is God-sized stuff using the people in our world to advance the cause of Christ. When he aligns our needs with theirs. Ultimately, we receive help from God. And I'm going to put this as verse 23 to 31, but I want you to know that this is all of Acts. If you're wondering what the title of Acts is, the title of Acts is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit to me. It's the Acts of what God did. Some would say the Acts of the Apostles. Yes, it's the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Apostles through what God did. They couldn't even, they didn't have the power to start. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that this work was accomplished. And that gives us such hope, doesn't it? Because if we want to see God work powerfully in our church, if we want to see God change our church and make our church a place where people are coming to faith and people are receiving the help that they need and miraculous works are being done in people's marriages and people's homes, we desperately need God. So we will conclude the book of Acts that we receive help from God. In verse 23 through 31, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great, greater numbers. So the Jewish people come and they have this conversation with Paul. Paul says, I'm innocent. And, he, and he's starting this conversation that is all set up. The stage is set up for by the soldiers in Rome. And he declares his position. Now they come back with more Jews and they are now going to hear from Paul. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. 
From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced in what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, uh, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have been cl- they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. These Jewish leaders assemble and fill up his apartment. I don't know what the size of his apartment was or how it looked, but these are nice digs for a prisoner. And he's allowed to receive groups of people and they can come talk to him and they come to hear from him. And what does he say? He talks about the kingdom of God. That's in verse 23. And he tries to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Our next sermon series is going to be on discipleship. And then after that, we are going to go to the major prophets. And in the major prophets, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, we're going to see that God is giving some of the most clear promises of the Messiah that are available in the Old Testament. In the midst of their greatest failure, we're going to see that God was giving these incredible promises of healing, of forgiveness, of a Messiah who was going to come by a virgin that was just these promises knit in among their failures. And Paul is now saying, quoting from the prophets and from the law of Moses, that Jesus is the one who's come and he has established this new kingdom and this new covenant. And when he gets done, some were convinced in verse 24, but he said that by what he said and others disbelieved. This is still true. Even if we deliver the good news, the best that we can. I remember working with a guy that nobody else really wanted to work with. He was a difficult man to work with. A lot, a lot of years ago. And I I went to his home and he was a difficult man to live with. He wasn't a very nice person. And I remember giving my testimony to him, crying and talking to him about the word of God. I I took him to a lease Palau campaign and and I wanted him to come to faith in the worst way and he did not go forward in that. I'm sitting next to him praying. I'm watching a tear go down his eye and he does not get up and go forward. I don't know the end of the story. Maybe he came to faith later. But here's the truth. It's not up to us to convince anybody to believe. The Holy Spirit is the one that works in people's hearts and changes people's lives. This is a God-sized work. He's the one who saves. Our job is to testify. And when we testify, God is the one who works in people's hearts, and some people's hearts are softened, and some people's hearts are hardened. What's the difference? Well, he's about to describe the difference between the two. But I want you to 
not be concerned about the result. I want us to be faithful. I want us to be a church that is a light on a hill. I want to proclaim together the excellencies of our Savior so that many might be saved. Some were convinced, but he said, but others disbelieved, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So Paul concludes by describing what's happening. And in this passage taken from Isaiah, um, it's Isaiah chapters uh, 6. Let me look it up here. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This passage is quoted in Matthew 13, 13 to 15, Mark 4, 12, Luke 8, 10, John 12, 39 to 40, and Romans 11, 8, and then here in Acts 28. As we conclude, this picture of, that's taken from Isaiah is the picture that he wanted these Jewish believers and non-believers to hear. What's going on that some people can't see it, won't hear it, and don't believe it? What's happening? This is the statement that he read from Isaiah. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they have closed and, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He reads this passage and and refers to this passage. And in this passage in Isaiah, there are two different descriptions of the same event almost. It's hard to see who's acting. Is God acting or is the person that's rejecting the gospel acting? Which is happening? And the two happen in tandem. You find out that after you reject Jesus, that God has rejected you from the beginning of time. That God, being outside of time, hardened Pharaoh's heart. This might be hard for some of you to hear. But the truth is that there is a point where God says, I'm done trying. You are now going to be written into the story of judgment. Because you didn't listen. Because you didn't see. They're, they're applying this activity. It's, it's what I used to do when I was in junior high and arguing with my brother. I used to, I'll have to put that down for a second, put my fingers in my ears and say, la, 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 la. Anybody use that as a, in an argument with their sisters or brothers? Or spouse? My spouse is the one who said that, by the way. The picture is that there are Many people that refuse to listen, that don't want to hear it. And God, in his kindness, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God, in his kindness, continues to fight for you even when you choose not to receive Christ. Even when you choose not to believe. So it's really hard to say which came first because you find out, I mean, we're in time and what came first even is a, is a question that is never asked of God because God's outside of time, so nothing comes first. It's all looked at. The whole, the whole story that is in time is looked at in some way like a photo where he can see the whole timeline. 
So we find out that from our perspective, there are some that are being hardened by God because they've hardened their own hearts. And that's the truth. The truth is that God continues to work powerfully in this world, and he is going to write a good story that is going to conclude with glory and judgment. And for those that don't receive Jesus Christ, it's going to be judgment. And on that day, the argument against them is going to be, you heard the truth and you didn't listen. Now your story has been written into goodness doing away with evil. The judgment of God. We receive help from God. We are small players. I am a small player in this big work that God is doing in this world. And my job while I'm here is declare the excellencies of my Savior and tell my neighbors and tell my friends and tell my family about Jesus Christ. That's my job. My job is to gather Christians together and that we might be encouraged together. That's my job. My job is to build relationships with non-believers so there are doors that are opened so that we can promote the gospel in the context of loving relationships. In verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. Man, I would have liked to have been in Rome and gone and seen him. I'd have had to understand the language first, but man, I would love to go there and talk to Paul, listen to him, be a fly on the wall. He lived there for two years. During that two years, he received Onesimus and converted Onesimus, a slave, and wrote the letter to Philemon. In the context of that incredibly redemptive story, he wrote the letter to the Colossian church, he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, he wrote the letter to the Philippian church, and from the 21st century perspective, I am so glad that God allowed Paul to be imprisoned in the way that he was imprisoned so letters could be penned that we would still be encouraged by today. God's work, they couldn't see what God was doing then, and we can't see what God's doing now. You don't know the beautiful story that God is telling that we are just a part of. Maybe right now, God is using you in ways that are affecting generations to come and eternity, and you, don't, you can't even see it. You're just raising a kid, talking to your neighbor. As we look at the ending of Acts, this is the last verse. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, period. There it ends. What happens to Paul after the two years? What happens to our map? Well, we're pretty sure that he gets out and goes to Caesarea. We're pretty sure he's out of Rome for a while and goes to Spain. That was his goal, is to continue on to Spain. And by the time he writes 2 Timothy, he is re-imprisoned under Nero and about to die. Just a few years later. Why did God allow Acts to be ended this way? I can picture from a human perspective that Luke is there with Paul 
and it's been two years, he writes this, but he has to send these two letters, these two books, to Theophilus. That's where it started back in Luke chapter 1. Most excellent Theophilus, I'm writing this to you so that you understand what God's doing and tells the story of Jesus and tells the story of the church. And when he finishes it, I picture him saying, well, chapter 2 will come later of Acts. You know, the next, the next part of Acts will come later. And to our knowledge, it doesn't exist by God's purposes, because God is the one who is at work in the writing of the Scriptures, more than human. And God, for, according to his purposes, leaves it ending, and we're still writing it. The book of Acts is still being written, and our stories in eternity are being chronicled of the work that we're doing for the cause of Christ. And God moved them from here to there. And God moved you into this family. And God moved you into this neighborhood. And God moved you into this job. And God is not done moving you until you take your last breath and your story is still being told. And that story is a story that God is at work and still building his kingdom. Many of my friends have asked me the question or wondered out loud, why hasn't Jesus returned already? And then I see my grandkids born, and I know why he hasn't returned, because he's not done saving people. And I want the next generation to be saved. Our children's ministry, how important is our children's ministry or our ministry to our children in the pews? How important is that? How important is the work of a mother and a father and grandparents and family and a church that cares for kids, all of them? One generation to the next testifying about what God has done for us. Oh, how thankful am I for the people that have encouraged me, the people that have invested in us, the people that preceded us in faith, generation after generation, so that today we have the scriptures, we have the church, and we have each other still encouraging each other to hang on to Jesus. There is real help for us as we minister. And as we start next week and look at discipleship, I want you to know that it's the mandate of our Savior that we disciple each other, that we become disciples together. And we're going to look for a number of weeks what that means right up until Thanksgiving. Well, we started this pre-COVID we started the book of Luke. I'm sure you remember those first sermons, right? All of you remember being back in Luke? Okay, nobody. Dr. Luke wrote these books with the purpose so that he would encourage Theophilus and only a few. I don't think he had any idea what God was about to do. Somebody in Algonquin, Illinois was going to be preaching those books. And we had no idea that COVID was going to happen and that all the things that have happened, but there is a narrative that God has begun in us and through us that I am excited to be part of. The world has changed, but the word of God remains. I've been carrying in my pocket the names of those that we were encouraged to pray for who we want to see come to faith. And people at my table at G2G prayed for 
the people that I care for, that I want to know Jesus. And I am asking God to work powerfully in our church. As I give us a church, if I give me as a pastor a report card, as a church planter, I would say there are two areas that we have not done well. Evangelism and discipleship. I don't think we're great at either of those. I think we love each other. I think we encourage each other. I think we have fun together. I think there's a great church to be part of, but I don't think we've done well at evangelism or discipleship. I am asking God to change that. I hope you come to G2G. I hope you come ready to... This is not just learning about evangelism. This is the chance for us to become evangelists. Not that that's going to be our main gift, but do the work of an evangelist. Or are you like me, that sometimes you get tired and stop even looking for the opportunities? I hope you come next week and ask the question, how can I enter into a stronger discipleship relationship? A number of, maybe a year ago, I had a, uh, I preached, said something about discipleship, and Amanda came up to me and said, I want to know about discipleship, and I brought her a couple of books. I would like to say that we are a church that is about doing this. I'd like that to be the next chapter of our church. Ultimately, it's God who's going to do this work in us. So as we close out the book of Acts as your pastor, I want you to know that I have been so encouraged by all of you. I think of you as my friend. Countless conversations where I go home and think, I'm pretty much the luckiest pastor out there. Probably the wrong way to say it. I am so blessed to be part of this church. I am helped by you often. I am amazed at the help that we have received as a church by our neighbors. Shocked by it. And I think we are only on the cusp of seeing the help that God is going to give us as his Holy Spirit works powerfully among us. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are the one who is at work in your church. You are the one that is at work in us. You are the one that from the beginning of time ordained the privilege that we have for us to gather together, for us to be in faith relationships with each other and with a faith relationship with you. Father, I ask you to work powerfully in the future. I pray that you would um, help us to follow you completely. Help us to do the work that you called us to. Help us to not falter in any regard in what you've promised for us. And all of our hope is in you, Father. We know that it's not our job to produce what happens or accomplish the work alone. You've given us each other for that work and you've given us your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.